Good evening, students, and welcome back to Legacy Weapon. This is episode three, and we are here to help you get into Legacy. I am Jamie Keller, and here on the line we've got Drew Walton. Hello, Drew. Hi, Gibbs. Hi, Jamie. Now, uh, we had promised you a deck tech today, and I am sincerely sorry to say that my alliteration skills notwithstanding, we will not be doing a deck tech today. Uh, we tried twice, and it just was not turning out right. We realized we had just some more introductory stuff that we wanted to go over first. Uh, we're going deeper, and we're going to keep going deeper and deeper, but some things are better to go over earlier in this series, uh, better to have as a foundation for newer people. So we wanted to have this episode at least. Uh, maybe next episode will be a deck tech. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, we want to be sure to give you the good quality stuff. So if we do a recording and it just doesn't feel right or it seems uh, too bloated, that means we got to change up the order of episodes. So, Drew, why don't you tell us what we are going to talk about instead today? Right. So we, we got a, an email or a message, something, a communique. On Reddit. You, you can hit us up on Reddit, on Twitter. I am a guru on social media, meaning that I've been doing it for three weeks. Yes, I'm, I am wise in the ways of the interweb. The, the, the tubes are my native environment. <laughs> Indeed. We, we got a great comment on Reddit uh, yeah. about Legacy. Right. Uh, asking a couple questions, one of which was, why why would you play Legacy? Which is a sort of a very basic level question that we kind of figured, uh, hey, we should maybe talk about that a little bit. And then uh, we started talking about it and found it a very interesting question, and uh, we thought that... Since you like listening to us talk, you might want to listen to us talk about something you think is interesting. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly. And we realized, uh, you know, for some of you, if you're here, it's because you're already interested in legacy. You know, we're preaching to the choir, and um, well, you can skip ahead, I suppose. But it's a legitimate question: with a, uh, why would you pick legacy over modern, for example? We we touched on it very briefly in episode one, but there's more to it than that, and it wouldn't really make sense to have that be episode thirty. So let's make it episode three. Right. And, you know, what we, we started talking about what is it that, that makes legacy interesting to us and, uh, you know, what, what are the defining characteristics of legacy? And, and we thought that those would be, it, it lends itself to an interesting discussion. The other part of the question was, uh, whether there were any decks that port easily from modern into legacy. If you were trying to get into legacy on the cheap, since some of these decks can be very expensive, if you were trying to do it without spending a whole ton of money, what would be some place to look at? So, uh, that got us talking about the ways to do things for, uh, on the budget in Legacy, which is another interesting uh, topic all by itself. So those are what we're going to talk about today. Great. Why don't you go just start with telling us, we briefly talked about why we got into Legacy, and that's not as interesting, but uh, right. you, you compared it to Modern. Go into why a person would want to play Legacy. What about Legacy uh, is superior in your mind to the other formats you could play? Um, well, part of it is the... Uh, diversity of, of the decks. So there are just different strategies that you can do in Legacy that you can't do in Modern because there are just certain certain cards that are available to you, some of which we'll, we've gone over before and some of which we'll talk about later, but uh, strategies like that do very powerful things. Um, there are things like Show and Tell or Dark Depths or Dread Return that are kind of the, the, the crux of, of a strategy for a whole archetype of decks, and, and they, just, they just don't exist in Modern either because they are too old for modern, or they got banned in modern, being "quote unquote" too good. But they're they're there in legacy, and you can you can do that. And it's uh, it gives you there's more diversity in the format um, as a result of those things. The other thing is that because of the large card pool, the presence of certain very highly powered cards, there are some things that you have to take into account when you're playing. Like we were talking about force of will days, for example. You just don't have to worry about zero mana counter spells in modern, for example. 
that adds a layer of strategy to the format that makes it more difficult. It doesn't make it harder to play, but it, it, that challenge is interesting. It makes the makes the game more rich and, to me, at least more satisfying to play. Just because once once you start to figure out how to how to deal with the with the subtleties uh, that doesn't exist in modern or, or certainly in standard. Okay, it does have that complexity and subtlety uh, a little bit more than the others. Uh, you talked about the variety of deck lists. We had touched on this a little bit. There are well over 30 established legacy decks, I'd say. We don't have an exact number here, but well over 30 that are established. Yeah, it would depend on how you're going to count, too. Right. There are um, uh, different tiers, so to speak, and and this is uh, terminology that's used in Standard and Modern everywhere else, where people talk about a Tier 1 deck being a good deck, one of the decks to beat, one that you would expect to see in the top 8 of any tournament it can be played in. And you see here about a, a, a Tier 2 deck, which is playable and will win games, but you'd be a little surprised to see it in the top eight. Uh, they actually have uh, a term for decks in the middle, uh, tier one and a half, just a deck which you wouldn't really expect to win, but you would expect to see maybe it get to the top eight sometimes. Uh, it's around and worthy of respect, but still not one of the decks to be an established deck. If you wanted to just talk about tier one decks, uh, you might have ten Ten legacy decks. Yeah, depending on how you want to, but that's how you want to count it. Yeah, right. But then again, I mean, you, you you look at modern or standard. You don't. You wouldn't have ten different, completely different decks in those formats that are the decks to right. beat. Because then after that, you have the tier one and a half, the established decks, or the two tier two decks, the last powerful but still can win decks. You're getting up there into the thirties or forties of decks uh, that are viable in legacy. So you you have an idea. You can find a deck that can play with it. Right. Uh, also, it, somehow, it is always interesting to me, you'd think that having so many different kinds of decks out there would make it so hard to play around them. Uh, in modern, there's a problem, some people see it as a problem, where there's just too many different kinds of decks, and you can't sideboard against them all, because you need some sideboard slots against burn, and some against graveyard, and you just have to kind of pick what you want to be able to beat, and what you don't. What you're not worried about that day. Yeah, yeah, which ones you're not worried about that day, because you can't sideboard against all of them. Legacy... Uh, you talk about the powerful cards. Legacy has powerful enough general answer cards that you can, in that same 15 cards, usually sideboard a little bit against everybody. You'll have some cards that can just deal with so many different types of decks and different types of problems. You have cards like Force of Will that we discussed that counters any spell. Just these general answer cards, uh, in every color there's something that you can do for general answer cards, allowing you to be prepared for anything people will throw at you. That, that's also true. I think it's fun going to a legacy tournament. Uh, not that I've played a whole lot of them, but going in and, and just every round you see a totally different deck most of the time. And it's just, you know, you, there are a lot of different things that are open to you when you want to build your deck, but there are also just an awful lot of different crazy things your opponents can be doing. And it, it, you know, There's this, this moment when you start playing the game one and you have to figure out what your opponent is trying to do you know, so you can figure out how you want to play your game. And Sometimes that can be very difficult, just due to the sheer variety of things that your opponent might be doing, and that's that's also a, a fun part of the game for me, trying to identify my opponent's deck and my opponent's strategy. I also love one thing about Legacy, where there are so few cards that are banned. There are is a ban list, but by and large, if you have a favorite card, you can use it. That's, if yeah. you have a favorite card, you can build a deck around it. Part of the reason for that, as we said before, is that there are these general answers, so the threat cards aren't as scary. But the 
ability to just build a deck around your favorite card is really great. The ability to know that you can do whatever the most powerful thing you want to do in Magic is, that you can get an infinite combo in a thousand different ways, that you can find a pet deck idea of creatures or combo or something and have an entire strong deck around it. I love that. Gaia's Cradle is my favorite card. There's a deck where that's the centerpiece of the deck. Yep. I've been surprised it's people James love. Deck. <laughs> yeah, B- big surprise. Uh, just that that knowledge that you know that there is vintage the the format we talked about earlier where nothing is banned. Is, yeah, where nothing is banned. Um, and yes, there are things you can do there that you can't do here. Uh, I, I we I've rarely touched that. I don't really think that's worth going into much here. But the thing is, the stuff they're doing. Generally, you can do in Legacy, you just do it a slower, just because you can't get five mana for free on the turn one, at least not without going through a lot of hoops. Right. So, uh, just the knowledge that you, you're, you're playing whatever magic you want to play. Yeah. So. The thing about Vintage is that, actually, because so, there are so many things that are actually so powerful, there are, there are only there are a handful of decks that are just so powerful that they kind of crowd out other strategies. Uh, yeah. And, and that's not true in Legacy. There are, as we said, uh, at least... 10 decks that would qualify as, as tier one. Uh, there are probably three tier one decks in vintage. That's... <laughs> I might be right. I, I, I have dipped my toe briefly and I randomly picked a deck to, to test out with proxies. Yeah. And it was about 30% of the metagame when I checked, yeah. just because it's one of the best yeah. decks. And I think there are two other uh, ones that have 20, at least 25% shares. And so. Yeah. If you have a deck in Legacy that has 20% of the uh, meta, um, they're probably going to ban a card. That's, just that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's that means that something is off. Ordinarily, it should be 5% per deck, and that still is a good deck. I, I, even there, there are decks that are around 10%, and I think they're usually, there's usually at least a couple 15. of decks that have 10% each, but I think, but it rotates, you know, it changes what decks have those 10% shares. They might have 10% share now, but in three or four months, they might be down to 5% or less. So right. Vintage, it's, you know, these three decks have been the three decks for as long as I yeah. don't know anything about vintage, which isn't really right. and, long, but still. And, and like we said, you know, in Legacy, the, the deck you like, uh, it might be a Tier 1 deck to beat right now, and in a year, it might have changed a little, so it's not positioned as well with what other people are playing. It's now a Tier 1.5, or even a Tier 2, right. but it's still playable. Uh, they rotate around, but they're always still playable. Right. Uh, even in Modern, that's not always the case. I mean, there, there's bannings and things, but certain decks kind of just goes so out of favor that you can't expect to win with them. Right, which has to do with the size uh, of the card pool. Just, you know, something else gets printed in modern. Um, you know, you can, you know, you can make a new deck viable that just hates out your deck in modern. That doesn't really happen in Legacy. Right, because everything that they can do, uh, there's an answer to right. it. There, there's an answer to the answer, and that answer has an answer. So no one thing's going to take over like that, usually. And there's so much diversity that, I mean, you know, any deck coming in, no matter how successful it is, is not going to be so much of the metagame that even if it's a terrible matchup for you, that you're just going to have to stop playing your deck. Even if it's a very popular deck, it's going to be 10% of the metagame pops. You can go through several rounds of the tournament and not see it at all. Right. Uh, that ability to keep playing the same deck is another reason to play Legacy is actually budget. People think that there's this really high bar to get into Legacy, and that's part of what this whole podcast is about. We want to uh, explain that there is a bar, there is a hump you have to get over, but it's not nearly as hard as people make it out to be, either in gameplay or in acquiring cards. Right. Yes, most Legacy decks that are Tier 1 uh, decks to beat are expensive. But the thing is, if you spend, say, $1,000 on a deck... Well, in a year's time, if you don't like it anymore, you can sell it for about $1,000 right. or more. 
Usually, usually more, more. these are cards. Yeah. Most of these old cards, most of them go up in value over time. As opposed to if you're in standard, oh, it's only $100 for a deck. Yeah. But you're going to have to spend $100 every month if you want to keep playing. Well, every month, month, but every couple months, anyway. Uh, so, you know, over time, not only are you going to be spending less in Legacy, but you're going to end up with a more strong, I don't want to use the word investment, but you're going to still have value in your deck. Right, yeah, we're not we're not advising you to uh, put to pull all your, your money out of your, uh, your 401k and... and Put it into yeah. Gaius Cradles, but uh, if you want to get into Magic the Gathering Finance, there are some great resources. Uh, message me; I can tell you some folks to talk to. We are not. The we best. are not those guys. Um, no, I, I I went deep on Didgeridoo, and that, that was that was a bad idea. And by deep, I do mean I got one. That was me. That, that, was is, me that is about as deep as we go in terms of um, investing to invest, investing <laughs> to get a card that we think is cool and want to play. Exactly. Uh, so we do want to talk now about how to play more on a budget. We, uh, we, we you know, uh, we've even got some comments about how sometimes frustrating that a lot of the people who talk about the game kind of ignore the fact that money matters. Yeah. Uh, yes, there might be a best deck, and that's great, and we should talk about it, but if that deck costs $10,000 and is only going to be good for the next month, that's not helpful for some Right, unless you're a serious uh, degenerate or very, very rich, or this is your job, you're not going to buy that deck. Yes. So for the yes. rest of us who are 99.9% of the Magic playing population, yeah, these considerations matter. So we, we want to talk now about um, some decks that you could build for not very expensive. Now, we talked about the tiers. To my knowledge, there is not a tier one deck that could really be called budget uh, or inexpensive. Is, am I right? Okay. It depends. It depends but on it, every once in a while, Burn will get there. Uh, it usually doesn't okay. stay there, but it, it'll poke its head into tier one. Uh, okay. Period. We'll call, I, I'm going to call Burn a tier two deck, but you are right that as people forget about Burn and don't build their decks with it in mind, it becomes better and better. Yeah. Let's just start with that. Uh, t- tell us about Legacy Burn. So Legacy Burn, it, there's a good chance that it's the cheapest Legacy, reasonable Legacy deck that you can build. It's, it's It works an awful lot like Modern Burn, if you're familiar with that. I actually looked, and the, uh, the the creatures are identical in most they, lists. They really are, like yeah. Actually, modern burn. Um, and that's actually where a lot of the money is. So if you have a modern burn list, this is one of those things that will port pretty well. You're looking at Eidolon of the Great Rebel, Goblin Guide, Grim Lava Mancer. Some decks run Monastery Swift Sphere. That's, uh, I, they used to run um, Vexing Devil sometimes. Vexing Devil. I think that's hard. And that's pretty much, those are pretty much the only five creatures that ever see play in a, in a burn list. You'll see some yeah. some mix of those. Some decks will run fewer creatures, some will run more, and a different mix of those creatures. Those are pretty much the only ones that are playable in Legacy Burn. And really the only ones that's playable in Modern Burn, too. We're not going to go deep in any of these decks that we're listing off right now. We may tell you the cards like we are right now. But just be aware, deck techs on all these will eventually happen. Right. Legacy Burn deserves its own episode. Just this is not that sure. episode. Um, the other things you're going to see in there, basically those creatures, you've got some lands, and then the rest is almost exclusively going to be spells that do direct damage. Uh, yep. Lightning Bolt and various worse versions of Lightning Bolt, because Lightning Bolt is the best. Yep. Pr- pretty much the only differences, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, between it and Modern are Price of Progress, which deals damage based on your opponent having non-basic lands, yep. which, really as we've said, L- Legacy has lots of non-basic lands. Uh, Chain Lightning, which is just a slightly worse version of Lightning Bolt but that's not legal less, in Modern. Less worse than the other worse versions. Yeah, it, Virtually the same, and uh, Fire Blast, which is 
four damage for effectively zero mana, just an alternate casting right. cost. And then you've got uh, then you've got your lands. And the thing about burn, well, this is the reason that it's cheap, is that most legacy decks, most of the mana, most of the money is in the mana base, right? Because most of them run a lot of dual lands, and those are frequently over a hundred dollars. Burn runs an awful lot of basic mountains. Uh, yeah, and those are pretty those, cheap. <laughs> yeah, the list I'm looking at right now has ten basic mountains. Right. Uh, they have twenty lands on this list. Really, this is the kind of thing where you're spending a lot of money to get incremental benefit. Yeah. The rest are fetch lands, and those aren't even very crucial to the deck. They fuel your Grim Lava Mancer. Grim Lava Mancer does direct damage and uh, exiles cards from your graveyard as cost, so having lands in there is good. Right. But they're all just fetching basic mountains. They're not there for mana fixing or anything else. Right. So if you really needed to, you could cut a lot of those to save on some of this cost and have it even cheaper. Yeah, you're, you probably would have to run something other than Grim Lava Mancer. But yeah, there I think there are decks out there. I don't think it's necessarily the best build of Burn, but you can build Burn without the Grim Lava Mancers and then just cut all of the uh, all of the fetch lands. Yeah. Another deck I wanted to talk about real quick was a uh, Merfolk because I think that's another one that's relatively portable. Is that budget? Um, it is. Actually, no, let's not talk about that. It, for Force of Will. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, uh, well it's not bad then we'll, except for the Force of Will. Okay, well, we can talk about this here, because this kind of falls into a second category of decks which you can build a slightly worse version of and make a budget, and this is a thing where Merfolk is, I'm going to call it a, a tier 1 and point five. It, it wins sometimes. Yeah. It's surprisingly good, I think. If you cut the Force of Will, it probably falls to tier 2, maybe even like 2.5 or something. Yeah. Force of Will is a really good card, and when you lose it, 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 it impacts a lot of your matchups. But the rest of it is a lot like modern Merfolk, just the Merfolks that give other Merfolk bonuses. Right. A little bit of card draw and card selection like Brainstorm, a little bit of equipment, and that's about it, and basic islands. Basic right? islands, it usually runs at least a couple of Cavern of Souls and a couple of Mutavolts. Those are even more cuttable than the uh, than the Force of Will. They're they're nice, but they actually do have disadvantages to them too, like Wasteland. It is nice to play a deck where you do not care about your opponent's Wastelands at all. Yeah, and Merfolk is one of those decks where you can you can be that guy who doesn't care. And hey, I, I'm looking at three other just budget lists that I found online here, and I'm seeing that one of them runs all black mana, or one runs all blue mana, yeah. and the other one runs all green and colorless mana. Basically. It, like you said, if you want to spend less money on a legacy deck, the first thing to do is just pick a deck that's only one color. Right. Because that way you'll save you'll save hundreds of dollars on your dual lands. You'll save tens or hundreds of dollars on your fetch lands. Right. And you may have fetches anyway because you uh, if you play standard at all, or certainly if you play modern, you probably have to have fetch lands. And fortunately, right. since a lot of them got reprinted in Concept Arc here, those which the allied color fetch lands are not nearly as expensive as the, as the ones from Zendikar block enemy color fetches. Mm-hmm. So if, and actually, I'm going to take this moment right now. We are not a current event podcast. We are not a magic finance podcast. But there was a recent thing that's worth knowing, especially when we're talking about this. Uh, they have announced that the next set is going to be, it has a real name, but it's Return to Zendikar, where these expensive right. fetch lands came from. There's a very high likelihood they're going to be reprinted within the next year. Right. If you're looking to get into this, you might want to pick up your uh, cons fetches that are inexpensive right now, and you might want to wait on those others that will probably be reprinted very soon. And we're going to get into this too, but there there are some cards where the first best option is very expensive, but there's one that's a very near substitute that's a lot less expensive. And fetch lands, in a lot of cases, are one of those, where you might really prefer to have a fetch land that can get either of the two types of basic lands in your deck, 
but you can really get by with the cons fetch that can only get some, right. and it will make a difference in a very small percentage of your games. For, for example, um, uh, I had for a while the white-black fetch land in my elf deck because I had forests and I had two of the black-green dual lands. So, as long as I was fine getting one of my black-greens, uh, the black-white fetch did what I needed it to. That can be its own story when we get to that deck. It can cause problems, right. but it's almost as good. I continue to run a lot of off-color fetches in my deck, which is in Abzan colors. Um, I don't have any of the black-white or green-black fetch lands. I get by with a play set of the green-whites, and then I do red-green and white-blue. There are no mountains or islands in my deck, but just being able to find a plains or a forest usually does the trick for me. Right. I don't think I have yet lost a game because I was unable to fetch a proper target with one of my off-color fetches. So. I have once, but it is still rare. It usually doesn't matter. It has annoyed me a couple of times. Like, it has made huh. inconvenient, but it's, I, it's never made the difference in the game for me. Uh, are there any other decks that just are kind of budget decks that you would want to talk about? So, um, another thing I wanted to talk about was, um, Infect, which is a deck that I thought might be fairly cheap, because it's it's very similar to the... I think, actually, Infect might be Tier 1 in Legacy, and it's, it's also Tier 1 in Modern, and they run a lot of the same cards, but the Legacy version does run Force of Will, which is expensive, and it runs four... Um, Berserk. It runs Berserk, which is... It actually doesn't run four of those. It runs a couple. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. It may depend on the build. And then it, it runs Tropical Islands. But this okay. would be a case where you could really get by without Tropical Islands. You could probably play Infect with Breeding Pools. and yeah. so, Anybody who doesn't know, just because I, I do realize in this episode we are probably uh, throwing out some terms that not everybody knows. Uh, Infect is a quality on some cards that say that they deal their damage in poison counters rather than regular damage right. to players, which basically means that all their damage is doubled. So you only have to deal 10 damage to your opponent. To kill Which... When you only have to do that, and that's your only goal, you can load up on some early creatures and damage and get it done quick. Right. And that that yeah. So there's a there's a an archetype in both legacy and and in modern that tries to do that. It's pretty solid. Berserk is a card that is uh you know is a very broken card from the olden days that is uh, doubles the power of target creature. It's the important until the end of the turn. So it's 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 expensive. You only need a couple of them. But so this is a deck where you probably, the actual cost of it is if you build the whole thing, it's probably going to run you about $1,000 if you run the actual optimum version, but you could probably build a slightly worse version of it for a lot less money. A lot less, right. If you're not running the blue-green dual land from Alpha, if you're not running the Berserk, it's going to get a lot worse. You're going to go from Tier 1 to Tier probably 2 or something, and that's what a lot of this comes down to. If you pick a cheap deck or if you build a deck cheaply, there's a reason why the best decks usually are expensive. You're probably going to lose some quality, but it all depends on what your goal is. Right. Our goal here is to get you comfortable with the format so you could go win a Grand Prix, but we know that a lot of you, that's not really what you're going to be doing. You're going to be going to your uh, legacy local, you're going to be playing with your friends, you're going to be playing online. And for a lot of those, a tier 2 deck's just fine. Right. Uh, I have a deck which I think is just tier 2, and that might be generous. Uh, it is my, my secondary deck, so to speak, because I, I was able to pick this one up trading for it whole cloth for cheap, just a bunch of my random cards for one guy wanted to get rid of the whole deck. Uh, and it's called a Manaless Dredge. Yes. By the first word on that, you might guess it does not run any lands, which is why it's budget. No mana right. in a whole deck. It is the strangest deck, and it will need an entire show dedicated to explaining how it works. 
But the whole idea is that by skipping out on all the lands, by only playing out of your graveyard and for free cards, you skip out on no fetches, no duels. It's great. Yeah. It's an awful lot. Now, again, there are no basic lands in there either, which are cheap. Most no. of the creatures in there are things that are like 25 cents. Right. Now, th- this is another example. It is a cheap deck. You might not call it budget because there's not a way to add money to it. It's as expensive as it needs to be. It plays every card it wants to. Right. There's a mana full dredge deck. It's called dredge. Yeah, it's just called dredge. And it's, it's, it's stronger. It is better. It's doing things completely differently. But that's adding a card called Lion's Eye Diamond, which... 75 bucks or so. 75 bucks. Lands. It's going to play expensive lands. Plays dual lands. Yeah. So this is this is another situation where I'm choosing a slightly less reliable, less good deck, but it gives me a graveyard deck for very, very cheap. Right. So so there are some decks that are just cheaper to start with. You know, they usually take a hit on power to be able to do that. There are some where you can make them almost as good while cutting their cost in fourth. Right. Uh, are, are there any where that's not really an option? Because we do want to talk about that, too. Just ones where you kind of can't right. cut, where you can't cut any cards without it just not working anymore? Yeah, there, there are some decks that just rely on certain cards. Mm-hmm. And you need to have those cards, and there's no substitute for them that will do what you need it to do. And those cards tend to be fairly expensive, because if there's no substitute, it, it, it's usually something that a lot of people are trying to, trying to use. Um, we want to list those? I'm not sure that's as useful right now, because if if people can afford those, then they don't really need this episode on budget anyway. (laughs) Uh, We will go through each of those, because most of those are are good. I mean, there's no reason to play an expensive deck unless it's good. If you're okay with playing a bad deck, you might as well play a cheap deck. (laughs) Right, that's true. Uh, So uh, we'll talk about those later, but just to to acknowledge that there are some that you just have to choose to not play those decks at all if you want to play on a budget, and that's fine. Uh, you know, we, we have each chosen decks for ourselves, which are not the most expensive. Although, I think, I, we, we came up with sort of a list of cards that are probably not substitutable for, and I think each of us runs at least four of, <laughs> a, some, of something that's on that list. I mean, True. No, our, our, our decks are not the top most expensive, but neither of our decks can really be called budget anymore. They both started budget. Right. Both of our decks, uh, we've just slowly been adding to them, and they've each kind of gone from, you know, maybe tier two or three up to tier... Yeah. One and a half, one, two. Yours is, yours is probably that, tier one right now. Mine is probably tier I, one and a half. I think that according to uh, uh, a lot of online sources, it has not quite gotten back up to tier one. It was tier one prior to the Treasure Cruise, uh, time, the most recent meta shift. Maybe, I guess. The shift's gone back, so we, I, I expect uh, elves to do well again. I feel like elves we will, we will rise. literally every tournament. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but it seems like it's uh, always there. As long as you're giving us the respect we deserve, uh, you, you, you're fine by us. But, uh, right, so that's that's another thing. You may not need to wait until you have all of the cards to build the best version of your deck right away. I mean, you can you can do pretty well with a somewhat budget version, and then you can add cards to it over time. And I mean, you'll see an improvement as you as you invest a little more in it. But you can definitely play respectably against most opponents without all of the of the ideal components of your deck. Right, and. and- one thing is, you know, we talk about how the best decks are already kind of found, and for the most part, that's true. If you're okay going to a tier two deck for for what your goals are, a lot of the time you can just pick a card, pick a strategy, and you can probably make it work. I, I found a list online which is revolving around a card I had forgotten existed called Dwarven Recruiter. 
This deck is dwarven something. This deck is really weird, uh, and I, I don't... I mean, it's not going to be Tier 1 anytime soon, but uh, Dwarven Recruiter, it, it's a creature, and when it comes into play, you can search your library for dwarves and put any number of them on top of your library. So it doesn't draw you a card, but you get to arrange the top of your library with dwarves. Well, there's a... <laughs> which, okay, sure. Dwarves are not or a great card type. But there's a uh, there are a lot of them, and okay, you can beat down with dwarves. There's also a card though that says uh, it's called Goblin Charbelcher. You reveal cards from the top of your library until you hit a land, and then you do that much damage to your opponent. Well, if you've just stacked thirty dwarves on top of your deck, well, now you get to Charbelcher for thirty. Okay, that the guy wanted to make a dwarven deck, and and he found a way. That's I, like this deck. Is, half your deck has to be dwarves, but. Um... <laughs> But, I mean, there, there's some, they're, they're slightly better than I remembered, not by much, but, you know, he, he made a very strange deck, but honestly, it looks like it's at least, it, well, it looks like it's probably a tier two deck, maybe tier three, but it's at least playable. It would work. It would win a lot of games. Yeah. Um, Goblin Tarbulture is another, is an archetype unto itself that's, that's it has seen better uh, days, but. It's true. And that is actually one example of a card that can't be replaced. There's nothing else that does something like that. Right. Surprisingly enough, Goblin Tarbelcher is not that expensive. Right, that's true. But others, like uh, Force of Will, for example, yeah, uh, there's no around. good substitute for it. Right. So. Wasteland, there's a great substitute. It's called Strip Mine. Unfortunately, it's bad. Uh, <laughs> I, I have seen people comment online about, oh, why don't you just run Strip Mine? Because, yeah, ban list. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that should be our next episode. Yeah. So, do you want talk- before we go any further, I would like to thank our sponsor for the day. The Rakdos Carnarium. Come on down to Rakdos Carnarium. We have got all the sites that you are looking for. We've got showstoppers. We've got cultists. If you don't mind losing a few body parts, this is the show for you. It costs nothing to get in and only costs a lot to get out. (laughs) Trust us. It will be just fine, maybe. Rakdos Carnarium. For all of your entertainment needs. Indeed. Thank you to Rakdos (laughs) Carnarium for, uh, sponsoring us. So we looked into how much it would cost to, to build at least one one variant of a lot of different top decks. It's sort of hard to figure out exactly how much it's going to cost you because card prices do vary over time and then from place to place and then uh, right. Uh, we could in. give you so. we, we could give you a quote for a specific burn list, for example, on what it would cost to go to X website right now and buy it. Right. But, you know, if you are trying to build up a collection or build up a deck and you look around, you look on eBay or TCG Player or something, you can probably find it for cheaper. Or if you're okay having a card that's mo- that's moderately played instead of being a near-mint quality card, it's still playable just fine, does the same thing, it just doesn't look as nice. I've got some not great-looking cards because I'm still at the build-up-your-collection stage rather than the pimp out your deck with foils stage. I have a Caracas that is beaten to all get out and it is an Italian and it does the same thing and I'm very happy with it. And I got it for about 30% less than you would normally expect to pay for that card. So So it's very hard for us to actually quote, but the thing is, again, if you're okay not being a tier one top tier deck, if you're okay being a tier one and a half or two or two and a half, you can build a deck for what, a hundred bucks? I think you probably could. Um, Yeah. As we said, I mean, it, and it all depends on, on which deck you pick and how okay you are with the fact that it could be better. Right. Almost every deck can be made better by improving the mana base. But also, this is, this is assuming you don't have any cards in your collection. Right. Also. If you if you oh. already play Modern, you probably have all the fetches that you need. If you play Standard, you have at least half the fetches that you need. Right. And uh, w- one other thing, uh, talking about uh, you know alternatives, 
that I did want to talk about are the dual lands. We talked about how those are the number one cost in a lot of decks. It's just a mana base. These cards go from the cheapest ones, about maybe $40. The most expensive is, I think, I think past 200 right now. Depends on where you look um, and such, but yeah. Think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll say it's 100 bucks per land. And that's going to add up real quick for your entire mana base. Right. You can run the, uh, they're called Shocklands from Ravnica, a set a few years back. They do the same thing in that they are a mountain forest or something. And you can search for them with search for mountain. You can search for them for search for forest. It's fine. They come into play untapped or tapped. You get to choose. If you have it untapped, it deals you two damage when it comes into play. So if you played standard a couple years ago, they were all over. If you play modern, there's no way you don't know all of these, but. Right. So right now in my deck, uh, the standard deck runs two bayous, the green black land. I own one of those, and it's in my deck. Instead of skipping the second one, I'm running an overgrown tomb, the shock land that's green black. It's not as good. I have lost a game because I had to pay two life to get it untapped. Right. But how many games have you played with your with your offset? Uh, hundreds. Hundreds. As and a, and I think I think that that card has only lost me the game. I think once. So a one percent change in my win percentage. I mean, that's not good. 1%'s not insignificant. Right. But it saved me 150 bucks. That's worth it right now. Yeah, I have a similar situation where I have... My deck is three colors. I own the cheap, the two cheaper fetch lands and not the Bayou, and I'm running an overgrown team in my deck, and I don't think I have yet lost a game because of having that, because I almost always fetch for one of the other. Or if I have to get that one, my life total ends up not mattering. Right. A lot of the time, your life total doesn't matter, or it doesn't matter enough that two damage can make a difference. Sometimes you don't care that it comes into play tapped, and you can just do that, and it's fine. Right. Um, depends on the deck how tight their mana is, but two damage is really a make a difference. That's a way that you can save a you know, hundred bucks per card and have the deck be almost as good. Right. I would say for the most part, if you're going to run, if your deck would like to run several dual lands, the first dual land is probably very important because there are decks like Burn, for example, do care about uh, its opponent's life total. A lot, and if you have to, if every game you're having to go fetch up a shock land instead of a dual land, you're dealing yourself an extra two damage and making your burn opponent's job a lot easier. That is true. I, I will say, I mean, in Elf, one of the things that that deck does, not to go into it, but is it bounces your forests to your hand so you can replay them. Right. Uh, if you're if I had overgrown tomb every turn, that's going to be <laughs> a problem. Right. If I if I didn't have any bayous and I was running two overgrown tombs. That would really cut into my win percentage. That would be a problem, because I'd be hitting myself for damage over and over again. So that, that first one does make a big difference. Right. The second one, not much. Not, not and even that first one, it would work just fine without it. It actually still wouldn't come up all that often. It would be fine. It would probably knock it down to tier one and a half right. on its own, just changing that one card. But it would still be fine. And that is the thing. If you look at a deck and you see that it has 400 ground seas in it, and that's probably the most expensive dual land, $200 plus, and you think, man, that's going to be $800 before I buy any cards that do anything other than tap for mana. Well, maybe you only really need one of those, though. Not to say that $200 for one card is... And that's still a significant investment. Right. But Your deck will work just fine if those are all shock lands. If the rest, yeah. Your deck will work almost as good if they're three Shocklands and one Dual Land. Right. We, we, we can't go into all the cards. As we go through the deck lists, uh, I, I hope that we can on each deck kind of talk about how a deck could be made more budget, or if it could, or if it's one of those that can't be made more budget. But I, I did just want to put that out there, because that is, for almost every single deck, the easiest way to cut costs without losing much win percentage. 
Yeah, is to substitute substitute your duels, shocks for your duels, and uh, off color fetches for uh, the expensive Zendikar fetches. The one last thing I want to talk about on budget actually is uh, cards that get played in a lot of decks versus cards that don't. If you are trying to get into Legacy, a lot of people have, you know, one deck that they like, and it'll stay good. But if you're really wanting to go deep on it, uh, you want to be able to change your, which deck you play with the metagame. And so it might be a more prudent investment to purchase cards that go in many decks. For example, there, there's a card, uh, Candelabra of Talos? Tanos. Tanos. Okay. Which goes in one deck, and it is really expensive. I, I, I actually, well, I, I, I lost a game the other day to a deck that ran Candelabra that was not the deck that usually runs Candelabra. So uh, there are, let me tell you, there's a second deck out there. Okay. But, so there are there are two, but they but it never gets played in anything else. Right. So if you were to buy it for one of those decks, and then you decided that you didn't want to play that deck, that card would not help you with your new deck. Right. Um, and it is 150 bucks at least. At least. Uh, the cards which you might look into getting, just because they go in so many decks that can't really be replaced with anything else, there's three. I've, I've seen uh, a list, and this is not something that I came up with myself. This was actually on an article I read, which was written by Colin Colin Chilbert a few years back, but I, I really liked what he had to say. Force of Will, as we've said, is not replaceable. It is in a lot of decks. It's in every, almost every blue deck. Because of those two facts, you might want to pick those up because any blue deck you make, that will already be ready. Kind of like those lands, if you have them, you don't have to get them again for your next deck. If you switch from lands to artifacts to elves to maverick, you're going to have to keep changing out which cards you're playing with. Force Will goes in a lot of places. Right. One other card that gets played a lot is Wasteland, as we said. That's the colorless land that kills other people's lands. That can fit in can fit in almost any deck. It doesn't go in every deck, but it goes in a lot of decks. There are very few that don't play Wasteland or Force of Will. Uh, and, and the third one he listed was a card called Lion's Eye Diamond. We mentioned it earlier. Uh, these, these are just some examples. There, there are cards that go all over the place. Ponder, Preordain, really those top 20 cards which we went over last time. Anything on that list can get played in a lot of different decks. If you wanted to just start building a collection rather than building a deck, that's the best place to start because those will serve you well regardless of what you end up playing on a certain day. Yeah, I can I can think of... Uh, well, yeah, we, we were talking earlier, my deck, which the reason one of the reasons I picked my deck is because it doesn't run any of those three, and right. I don't own any of those three. So I'm giving you the advice to stock up on these. I don't own them. So right. I don't do as I say, not as I do. But um, there are very, very few decks that don't want at least one of those three, if not two of those three. I have, I have built a, a, an unusual and probably suboptimal version of... Uh, of a deck in order to avoid buying wastelands, but it, it works okay. But yeah, yeah, it works fine. But you would probably get an extra five uh, percent win rate if you had the wasteland. Yeah, it would probably help. Yeah. So I think that brings us to a, a close on our first discussion of, of budget issues and legacy. And this will be something I'm sure that will come up repeatedly in further episodes. And we may do another whole episode on budget things again later. But we, was, we just wanted to get that to touch on some of that, because we know we're going to be talking about it a lot, especially in the deck techs. The, is it going to be our next episode or the one after that that we do with my deck tech? Well, depends on depends on how the recording goes, Drew. I, I, as I said, we have recorded this twice already and just <laughs> did not work. So we'll right, see. At some point, we're going to do a deck tech on, uh, on, on, my, on my deck, which is a, a Maverick deck. A lot of the card choices in there are driven by budget things, so we wanted to make sure that, that we had at least addressed that budget was 
a consideration yeah. in, in, in this. So. Our only promise on when an episode will air in the future is that we're going to stop making promises. Because apparently, that's, a bad idea. <laughs> that's, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, I mean, we, we'd rather air something that makes sense um, than air than, than than stick to a promise that we made stupidly. We do a lot of stupid things. So, uh, Drew, wait, Drew, Drew, are you talking about the reserve list? I thought that was for another episode. Uh, what? Yes, um, not that. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's for the future, kids. Just you, you remember that joke. It'll be funny later. Yeah. Maybe I'll even get it next time. Uh. <laughs> I'll, I'll explain it to you after hours. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> well, that, that is it for today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, on Twitter, I am Jamie, the number seven Keller. Also, Jamie7Keller at gmail.com. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm not on, I'm not on things like Twitter. <laughs> do, do you have a way for people to contact you, Drew? If you really want to talk to me, uh, I don't know why you want to talk to me. You should talk to Jamie. But if you want to, talk, <laughs> if you do want to talk to me, you can reach me at uh, mtgdrewwalton uh, at gmail.com. All right. Well, do remember, until we meet again, preparation is the best legacy weapon. Thank you very much. Okay, so now let me explain to you that joke. Yes. Do you understand what the reserve list is? Yeah, I don't understand what the reserve list is. Okay, so uh, a promise that somebody made that's stupid and they're keeping uh, it anyway despite oh, the fact oh, that it's hurting oh, them? Oh, okay, gotcha. Yes, I got, yeah. it. got it. Good old wizards.